0: Father, we come to you this morning and uh, yeah, we just want to acknowledge that um, in our world, in in our culture, in our society, in our community, uh, this is a sensitive topic. And in in amongst us, it can be as well. And we pray now that you would, by your uh, spirit, be our teacher, that you would comfort those who need comforting and that you would convict those who need convicting and that you would encourage us with your goodness in all that you have created and designed for our good and we ask this in jesus name amen now one of the things that we say at times is this context is king and this passage is it's very true that context is king because what's happening in the background of this passage is there are two groups of people two groups of religious leaders two groups of pharisees with two very different views, if you like, on, the, on what grounds a man, a man, not a woman, a man, can divorce his wife. Uh, that was, in the day, it was only ever considered that a man could divorce his wife. It wasn't even a, an option or a consideration that a woman would divorce her husband. That's not even being addressed here. There's two schools, so there was two schools of thought about men divorcing uh, their wives. And at the, both these schools centered around a passage in Deuteronomy that the disciples ask about in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, and two very different interpretations of a phrase that's in there uh, about indecency. So, this is the passage, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Moses says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favour in his eyes because he has found some indecency, there's the word, in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house and she departs from the house and it goes on but the 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 argument or the discussion is around that word some or that phrase some indecency and the two schools kind of went like this there was a the school of rabbi Shammai, i think that's how you would say his name and uh he under they understood this as being gross indecency uh so Uh, sexual behaviour, lewd sexual behaviour, not limited to adultery, but including it, um, that was kind of the more conservative uh, camp, if you like. Uh, On the other side, the school of Hillel, while they'd kind of stretched it a fair bit, uh, this indecency extended, in fact, to include all kinds of sin or imagined offences, right down to something as simple as improperly cooking the meal for that day Uh, our modern equivalent would be if she burnt the toast that can be the end of it and we laugh but that's actually how it was and there was uh, even further someone in that school went a little further and said it also included or made allowance for the straying eye the roving eye of the husband so if the husband's eye roved And found, if you like, a younger, more kind of attractive model. uh, He could trade up. And scripture supported it. And we think, what? Are you serious? Right? And rightly so. But the worst part of it is, is the second view was the majority view. A clear example, just just to draw your attention, that the majority view is not often the right view. And so this is the minefield that Jesus will navigate for us today, so wonderfully. And remember, as we've seen, Jesus is the king who saves. He's the king who's bringing his kingdom, his earthly kingdom, and establishing it and inviting us into it and uh, empowering us and calling us to live out its principles and its values. And so Jesus is in this kind of middle of this teaching section, as we saw last week as well, bringing the kingdom's teaching uh, to the crowds, and particularly to his disciples. Remember, he's the one at the transfiguration that we saw as the glorious Son of God, and the Father's voice, voice was heard at that time. God the Father saying, "'This is my beloved Son,' listen to him and so this is some of the things that we are encouraged to listen to him about the pharisees are trying to trap him as they bring this question to him they want him to fall into their track trap if they can damage his reputation among the people that would be fantastic even better if they could get him to contradict the law of moses That would be even better, because then they could charge him uh, with uh, breaking that and potentially uh, move towards getting rid of him. But Jesus will not be trapped by their response. Sorry, by their question in his response. Uh, Notice he argues from before Moses. They come and say, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Actually, a better translation there would be, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any and every reason? And Jesus says to the... To them have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh what therefore god has joined together let not man separate jesus in response to them and their their kind of deceptive question highlights two amazing things about marriage, or important things about marriage. Firstly, it's a good gift from God in creation. It's a good gift from God in creation. And as he responds to them, he goes straight to their hearts by the way he does it and exposes their wickedness, if you like. You see, what are these men asking, really? What are these men doing to their wives? How are they treating them in even asking that question? Can I divorce her for any and every reason? What are they doing? I want to suggest to you that it seems to me that they are abusing them. That they are dehumanising them. Treating them as less than human. Less than people made in the image of God. They are definitely not treating them, as one Peter would say, as fellow heirs of the grace of life, but rather treating them as disposable commodities. And Jesus exposes the evil of their hearts behind their question by saying, Have you not read in the beginning? He who created them, created them male and female. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's establishing the creative order of humanity, male and female. He's lifting the wife to where she rightfully belongs in the sight of God. As someone made in his image and therefore precious to him like the man. different, yes, maybe not quite as physically strong, yes, but equal before almighty God, her maker. Jesus goes on to say, oh sorry, it's probably important to say here that Christianity has often been accused of demeaning women and sadly in some cases and particularly bad applications of certain parts of the bible and certain parts of the new testament in particular that may well be the case at times but it's definitely not the case with jesus and therefore it's not what he intends is it jesus exposes that kind of treatment of women and affirms them at the same time by saying he created them from the beginning, male and female. I want to suggest to you, friends, that this is one of the keys to living in God's gift of marriage in creation. That husbands and wives see each other as God has made us. Different, but equal in his sight. So, gents, uh, the bad news about today's message is that Jesus actually has us mainly in his sights. The passage doesn't really say a lot to women, other than affirming them, but it does uh, line us up well and truly as men. So, let me ask you: How do you view your wife? Do you see her as equal with you in the sight of God? Or do you see her as somehow less than you? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that Jesus is saying one thing very clearly here, and it's this. Strength doesn't mean superiority. Just because you can lift more, doesn't mean she's less and if you want to talk about strength how about we talk about labor and childbirth I thought I was pretty strong until we went through one of those I came away with a whole different view of strength You see her as an image bearer of God with you. As an heir of the grace of life alongside you and so do you honour her. And yes, this does go both ways. Wives also need to see their husbands as someone who's an heir of the grace of life, but Jesus' focus is mainly us as men. Male and female in the sight of God, in the image of God. Jesus goes on to say, though, about marriage when this question comes to him, that they are to be male and female, one flesh for life. And we see that in verses 5 And six, Jesus goes on to say, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So here we see marriage according to the kingdom of heaven, God's design, so to speak. A man leaves his family and is united or holds fast to his wife, and the two become one. And the word for hold fast or being joined here has the idea of being glued or welded together so that in the one flesh relationship there is actually something very sacred taking place. Not just two bodies joining together. It's more than that. It's two lives being glued together together which is precisely what is being said in the second half of verse 6, isn't it? What God has joined together, let not man separate. Something sacred has happened there. God joins them together and he intends that to be for life. It's a precious gift from God, It's far more than the way it's mostly understood. When I was in my 20s, the saying around that time was, ah, it's just a bit of paper. That's what people would say. Mm. one flesh glued together for life. And that's why we want to do all we can to nurture it, to invest in it, to grow it, to enjoy it, to receive it as it actually is a good gift from God in creation. So, male and female in the image of God and male and female, one flesh for life. That's Jesus' design. I want to say a word to women among us this morning, and there are no doubt in a group like this will be, who have been dehumanized by a spouse. Now I don't mean just kind of garden variety like we talked about last week. We all treat each other as less than human. That's that's kind of what happens because we're sinners and we do it and we, we ask each other for, for forgiveness and we own it, up, we, come, you know, we come clean about it and we take responsibility for it and God in his grace kind of you know, heals that and we keep going. I'm talking about systematic, consistent, strategic dehumanisation of someone. I think from this passage we can say clearly that Jesus wants so much more for you than that and if the one who should have seen you as made in the image of God didn't he does he does as his daughter by his grace he sees you as his image bearer and he sees you as precious to him man who may be among us who dehumanise women Jesus calls you here today to see this evil for what it is and repent to see it for what it is in his sight before his gaze and repent For your good, for the good of your wife, if she's still around, and for the protection of your children. I think it's important to say also at this point that one of the ways that as men we can be guilty of dehumanising women or our wives is by viewing porn. Nothing could be more dehumanising than that. Or at least it's high on the list. Because when you watch it, that's exactly what you're doing to someone who bears the image of God. And at the same time, that's exactly what you're doing to the wife, whom God gave you, who lies beside you each night. And again, Jesus would call you to see this as the evil that it is and repent. Confess your sin perhaps to a trusted friend or brother and ask them to pray for you, get whatever support you need But don't be hard-hearted if you hear God's voice. Do not harden your heart. Do not be unresponsive because it's deadly. Just on a more of a general issue, general side, we mustn't treat each other as commodities, right? something that exists for our benefit and we can all default into that you know I think even uh, I've heard people say things like well it just didn't do it for me anymore you know that's commodity that's not gift marriage is a gift To be received and enjoyed from God. But I think what we've seen so far is that marriage also is something that is transformed by God in redemption. Verse 3 again, can we divorce a woman for each and every reason? One of the questions we ought to ask if we hear that is. How on earth did they get there? How on earth did they get there? Because Jesus' answer to this question comes from the very same scriptures that those who are asking the questions know. How did they get there? And as I said before, it had become the majority view. How on earth? But when Jesus answers the question from those scriptures, they ask another question. Do you see it there in verse 7? Why then they said, well, you know, kind of, if, if that's what you're saying, Jesus, you know, what about what Moses said? When he, when he, you know, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Notice Jesus' response. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Because of your hardness of heart. Therein lies the problem. But what is hardness of heart? And we've talked about it a little bit already, but it's just helpful to think about it for a second. What is the heart even? The heart is the the place that the Bible describes as the centre of who we are, the centre of our personality, that which drives us and, and, and kind of shapes us, if you like. And so to have a hard heart in the scriptures is to be deaf to and unresponsive to God and his word and his ways. To have a heart no longer being shaped by God but mainly shaped by our own sinful desires. Do not harden your heart, Paul says, if you hear God's voice. So notice Jesus identifies as actually actually the biggest threat to marriage It's the hardness of the human heart. When marriages fail, it's highly likely that one or both partners have developed hard hearts, unresponsive to God and his word and his ways. Even if they kind of give the impression that they are, when the rubber meets the road, they're not. In Israel, this had happened among the men. And this had led them to kind of end up with that interpretation of Deuteronomy. Now Jesus said that Moses allowed this, permitted this, He didn't command it. They say, "Why did Jesus why did Moses command it? Just no, he permitted it. It wasn't a command. So even when indecency happened, it didn't mean, "Oh well, now you have to divorce." It meant he permitted it. And again, it's interesting, isn't it? Because probably most likely, it was for the wife that Moses allowed it. It was for the offended party. It wasn't in any any way to sanction the actions of the husband. But it was to protect the wife. The certificate was to protect her integrity, to say that she is free to remarry, that she's not damaged goods, that she's free to marry someone else, hopefully someone whose heart is responsive to God and soft to God who will cherish her and care for her and protect her. That's why Moses permitted it. But all of this highlights the need that all of us have the most in order to have a healthy marriage. We need to have hearts that are being made new by God and by his word. Hearts that are soft, that are responsive to God and his ways. Both need to have that. And the good news is this, God is in the business making hearts new. He's wanting to do that even now as we hear his word this morning and take it to heart. Maybe that's already happening for you as we meet together by the power of God's spirit. Isn't God good to us that he would give us the hearts we need and change them so that we can enjoy the gift he's given? Where would we be without that? Well, I'm not sure. This is what he promised to do in, uh, through his prophet Jeremiah. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules or my law. God gives us the very thing we don't have to experience the relationships we need. And so, yeah, it's a heavy passage, but it's full of, this, full of this hope here, right? As our hearts are transformed, so will our marriages flourish. As your vertical relation, relationship with God grows, so will your horizontal relationships with others but with our spouses. Now, not forgetting that when marriages fail, one or both partners have developed a hard heart. So sometimes one partner, their heart can be soft towards God, responsive towards God, growing in their relationship with him, But it doesn't guarantee that the other will be. And sometimes, sadly, they don't. Jesus is primarily addressing those who would divorce their wives for whatever reason. Treat them as commodities. And he sets the bar really high, doesn't he? Saying to them, except for porneia, except for sexual immorality. And who? Well, they themselves are going to be committing adultery. Now notice that even with sexual immorality, just like with Moses, Jesus doesn't command divorce or for the marriage to finish. Again, by His grace, even when that happens, by God's grace, there can be restoration, forgiveness, re- restoring, transformation, all sorts. Where there's a heart that's soft and responsive to God and to His gospel. But He does permit it because of the hardness of people's hearts. Restoration is always the hope. But if there's no repentance, if the offended party, offending party is hard-hearted and unresponsive, then the marriage may end, as was the case in Deuteronomy. In that case, the offended party would be free to remarry. The New Testament gives another ground, another clear ground for a marriage to end, which, is, which people call desertion or abandonment which is where an unbelieving spouse no longer wants to live with a believing spouse. They want to go. And the scriptures say to the believing spouse, if they want to go, let them go. Because God calls you to peace. And in that case, again, the believing spouse, we're told, is not bound. No longer bound, so free to remarry. Another area that's becoming more prominent uh, and more and more scholars are uh, coming to a mind on and seeing a place for uh, spousal, spousal abuse as well as grounds for serious action. And that is where an unrepentant, abusing spouse will not live with their believing spouse without harming them in some way. Steps are taken to protect the victim and the vic- and other victims in such a case separation would be encouraged pretty much immediately to protect them and the un- and if the unrepentant and abusive patterns continue the marriage actually might end now we don't need to for me to tell you that these are complex issues and require much wisdom from church leaders in such cases when that happens. What is clear though from all of this is that for marriage to flourish and be all that God intends, our hearts as husbands and wives need to be made new by him, by his spirit. By the word of the gospel being brought home regularly, consistently, bringing us life and transformation. Marriage is a good gift from God in creation but is transformed by him in redemption. I think I've mentioned to you before that one of the books we've used in marriage preparation is a book called When Sinners Say I Do. When Sinners Say I Do. And um, the title kind of says it all, right? Uh, in every marriage, there are two sinners, and in one sense, looking at that title, you could say, "Well, it's doomed from the beginning." <laughs> it right? doesn't, doesn't fill you with huge amounts of hope, does it? When sinners say, "I do, oh my goodness, how good's that going to go?" Right? But as the book points out, because of the transforming power of the gospel, the opposite can be the case. The opposite can be the case. That which, from one perspective, should wither and fail, can, as hearts are transformed, thrive and flourish in amazing ways. As God transforms men and women in their marriage. So, the challenge is, what's our heart like? What's our heart like at the moment? Are we listening To him, not to the opinions of others, not to the community at large, not to people who come and give you you well meaning, good advice. Are we listening to Jesus on these things? And more than that, are we dependent on Jesus to transform us in the way we so desperately need? Uh, The disciples kind of get it, don't they? Verse 10, what do they say? If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They're like, white flag, I give up. I can't do what you've just said. And that's the point. Left to ourselves, we'd probably make a complete botch of it. But walk with Jesus... As we know in other areas of our lives, incredible things can happen. Are you dependent on Jesus and his transforming power? And again, Jesus is addressing the men here. So I want to ask you guys, gents in particular, as one man to another, are you listening to him today? Either in relation to the wife you currently have, or the one that God may give you in the future? Are you listening? Or are you just kind of batting it off? Oh yeah, whatever. Do you need to come to him today? Do you need to, like we saw last week, humble yourself like a little child, as someone who's in need and vulnerable and needs to be dependent? Do you need to ask God for his transforming power? Jesus would say your marriage and your family depend on it. So today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So in summary, as we wrap up, what, what do we see Jesus saying here? What has he done? Well, I want to suggest to you that he's held up the beauty of God's design for marriage, hasn't he? He's held it up. He's seriously challenged Abusive men, or men who de- dehumanize and dispose perhaps even of their wives. He's given just beautiful dignity, I think, to women in particular, as those who are made in the image of God, calling out hard hearted husbands and calling them to repent. And he's highlighted our great need as men and women to have our hearts made new for whatever, but particularly for relationships and our marriage relationship. He's done that by showing us that marriage is a good gift from him in creation and is transformed by him in redemption. So let's finish. He was still speaking when a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Let's take a moment and pray. And then we're going to come around the Lord's table together. We're actually going to sing. And the song we're we going to sing has a refrain again and again and again. Yet not I, but through Christ who lives in me, which pretty much sums it up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good Father, that you know what's best for us and you know the dangers that are often in front of us and the dangers that actually lie within us, in our hearts. And you want to do good at the core of who we are, that it might flow out into our lives, into our, our, every relationship we have, but particularly our family relationships as mums and dads and husbands and wives and father please help us to take hold of what you've said to us this morning please help us to know your grace if we've experienced other than this in our lives different degrees of of uh, hurt and pain and shame Lord if we are here this morning and we feel that as an offended party would you would you remind us even from this passage that much of what you've done here is Lord in love and care for the one who's been cast off so to speak or diminished and you want to raise them up again in your truth Father also for those of us whose hearts might be becoming hard you're you're coming after us even today because you love us and you don't want us to to stray you don't want us to go to yeah, to fall away and to to cause great harm to those around us and to ourselves and even as you re, you bring some rebuke perhaps to us that's because you love us and you're disciplining us may we be responsive to that knowing you're a good father and it's for our good and the good of others Father, we thank you, Lord, um, for all that you say to us in your word and especially through your son this morning. Help us to listen, to take it to heart for his glory and for our good. Amen.